Hello and welcome to Culture Illiterate, a podcast with four friends overthink comic book movies. I am one of your hosts, Jake. As of recording this, my hair is longer than it's ever been, and I'm quite happy about that. It was a goal. With me are my friends and fellow co-hosts. My name is Jason, and one of my earliest memories in life is the weird-ass music video for Sugar We're Going Down by Fall Out Boy. That's super interesting, Jason. Anyway... <laughs> My fun fact Ouch. is that this is technically our second recording, and the other fun fact is that it's Jake's fault, so please reprimand him in the comments if you ever do comment. I want our first comment to just be someone just trash-talking Jake, just really, really badly. Okay, Matt has caused issues like 50 minutes into episodes before. My excuse software me, just gave me, me a warning 30 me. That's seconds all in the past. started over, no so let's not act cares like about we the can... Past fucking compare yeah. here buddy we're in the now jake <laughs> that yeah you're talking about the past jake this is we're talking about right now we're talking about today we talking about practice come on not a game oh dear god all right i guess it's my turn then or did matt go okay good uh all right so my name's sean um my fun fact is that, Jake, did you see the changes I made to the script? I saw one. All right, good. I just wanted to make sure you saw it. That's so menacing. <laughs> uh, I had another fun fact, but I can't remember it now that I changed the, the welcome in the script to welcome. So uh, let's continue. <laughs> a subtle but important difference. Well, I actually kind of wanted to, uh, in a sense, backtrack a little bit, just because I finally watched uh, one of Jason's previous recs this week, Intergalactic. Finally. Um, haven't listened through the album yet, but I just wanted to bring it up, since it was something that Jason had wrecked before, and now I can circle back and say I also wreck it. Um, it's, it's really enjoyable, and I also didn't realize that it, well, it's not by any measure like the main plot or main point of the movie. Um, I wasn't expecting or aware of the fact that Intergalactic kind of really concisely and accurately skewers the comic industry that I just thought it was l- worth noting because I actually kind of tie it in. I believe I previously recommended the comic series Public Domain, both written and drawn by Chip Zdarsky. And I just kind of wanted to bring it up because in a way, I think they kind of pair well together. I think sometimes you have like two pieces of art in different mediums that 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 fit together unintentionally from different artists that just feel like accidental companion pieces and a lot of the vibes of the two and just that element of intergalactic kind of pair so i just thought that was a little neat and kind of wanted to bring that up yeah i definitely agree like there's it's not a main focus but there's definitely like at certain points it touches on kind of like the corporate machine ruining art uh which is i think kind of what you're getting at there so that's a good point absolutely I appreciate that you brought that up. I'm glad you watched it and liked it. I recommend the album even more than the the uh, film. So yeah, I want to get to that too. I just feel like it was worth bringing up um, since I think that's the first time that's ha- that that's happened with one of us. Kind of that also reminds me that I do others. still need to watch that. So at least that'll put that on my radar again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely wreck it. Yeah, uh, still like obviously I wrecked it when it came out, but still I wreck it. I, still go back and think about it sometimes i just think the animation's fantastic if nothing else i have a wreck actually um mine is for a game uh i started playing a game called uh cereza and the lost demon it is actually very cute and very sweet and wholesome as opposed to 
Bayonetta, which is usually not. Are they like made by the same company? Yep. Like what? Okay, they're made by the same like, company. The it's a prequel to Bayonetta mm-hmm. about her as like a ten-year-old, and she's sweet and, and adorable, and then she grows up you, to slap. Thank God, it's more wholesome. And I mean, in the most sexy yeah. way possible. <laughs> so it's really weird. <laughs> But it's really wholesome and just very sweet. It's just really strange to imagine that, hey, she grows up and, ooh. <laughs> I want to wreck uh, the new Fallout Boy album. I mentioned Fallout Boy as being one of my earliest memories earlier on. That is very true. Uh, so not even just that music video, but in general, Fallout Boy is some of my earliest memories listening to them with our sister Haley. Shout out Haley for helping me become emo later in life as well as jake jake's a big part of uh my music taste because that's going all to her head it is definitely going all to her head but i i believe you actually were a spearhead in me getting into fallout boy if i remember correctly um, um i mean i think we both were Haley does deserve credit there but yeah i yeah. was really into um sugar we're going down and we used to get report card books if we had a good report card from our parents and one time i begged and begged and begged to get from uh from under the cork tree instead of a book right and i uh, did get it and i adore that album by the way and own that album uh so i bring all that up to just say that fallout boy is a band that's very very important to me they carried on through just that nostalgia of being one of my earliest memories and to this day, I still listen back to their first four records and think that they've aged incredibly. Um, they mean so much to me as a band. They've shaped my opinions on music, my, you know, who I am as a person so much. And if you don't know, Fall Out Boy, Fall Out Boy kind of had a bit of a... When they came back after their reunion, went a bit more of a different and in my opinion, very bad direction. They were known for being experimental, but I feel like they went kind of downhill. This album, I feel, returns to form so much. It still feels experimental. There's still aspects of other genres that I know Pete Wentz and Patrick Stump love so much, and I see that coming through, but it still feels... It's still Fall Out Boy, and they're still there. It's still there, uh, you know their kind of vibe and it feels if i had to compare it to one of their previous albums i would say infinity on high so if you like that album i recommend it uh i think lyrically it's one of the best they've put out in years uh for example hold me like a grudge has a lyric uh uh part-time part-time soulmate full-time problem so hold me like a grudge i love that uh, everything's missing except my everything is here except my serotonin i love that lyric very very much uh but yeah this i think if you're like me and became a disillusioned fallout boy fan after their past couple records this album i think brings back everything that i personally loved about fallout boy and made me feel a way that i haven't felt in years listening to fallout boy i also agree with jason i got to listen to the full album and it was very very good yeah it, it definitely grew, grew on me as well the first listen i didn't love it too much i liked certain songs but listening through over and over again i just i adore it yeah there was some that took a little bit more to to fall in love with but i think i all around it was great. Yeah, there, there's a good interlude that uses a a, mono, a monologue from Ethan Hawke that's, that's kind of sweet, and it goes well into the next song. It's a very cohesive album. I think that's what I'm most impressed by. 
I think these days in popular music, it's so common for things to be based around singles, and this album just feels cohesive as the whole album, and I love that personally. I'll have to check it out. Add it to my list after uh, Intergalactic, maybe. See, because uh, I, I mean, I haven't listened. I still like their classics, but I haven't listened to them as much of late and you know similarly don't have as much of a relationship with their their post comeback stuff so you saying that intrigues me as some as a way to potentially go back and you know almost relive you know so get some nostalgia with but with something new yeah i think it's it definitely feels like fallout boy but it's not like they just regurgitated the same bullshit again it's definitely a m- more mature look at the same kind of vibe i feel so I also, before we get into the core of the episode, I feel like I have to make a public apology because if, as I'm sure you all recall, uh, last episode, we established the Hall of Him and of course voted in Wesley Snipes' Blade and Michael Keaton's Batman. But I think there is a third um, initial member of movies we've watched so far that I was a huge error oversight on my part to not um, bring up. So if you guys would be willing to vote on this, I propose that Margot Kidder's Lois Lane should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, him. yes. I agree. Am I the only one? Apparently no one. I guess I'm the only one. Matt muted I, himself. <laughs> I also agree. I was expecting Matt to speak, so that's why I wasn't saying anything, but I also agree. I, re- I also agree that, yes, Lois Lane should be in the Hall of Him because she's a badass. I mean, Margot Kidder's Lois Lane is just such a badass. Um and um as previously established we're using him in an entire i know this is nonsensical i guess but entirely gender neutral term um for he Who she's fucking cares man um, no one fucking so. cares okay I'm, gl- I'm glad we agreed on that i would have been a little bit a little bit annoyed if one of you had said no is that our first female entry? jason i'm not sure why you're so surprised this hall of him is only like a week old and it's technically only a day because it's been only used for a day so yeah i said there's only three we'll, we'll call our inaugural class uh snipes blade keaton's batman and kidder's lois lane but i mean y'all when you if you guys ever come across one that you think should be added feel free to propose at any given episode but it's got to be on air we're not voting oh, all these things off anyway air. how are those really shitty plaques going jake all right oh yeah i have um if i haven't already sent them out from last episode i have created um shitty like semi-intentionally shitty plaques for our inductees that will go out every time someone is uh voted in to the hall of fame and it will also denote if mm-hmm. they're given a uh, built different distinction so i hope they just look forward to those i didn't actually get to see them i hope they just look like shitty gold stars yeah oh I you'll see them i don't them. i don't i didn't send a picture i don't think um you'll see them when they're out i mean i can show y'all if you want but my plan is to just drop them <laughs> online <laughs> um Okay, anyway, so this episode, we're covering X2, X-Men United, which was released May 2nd, 2003, written by Zach Penn, David Hayter, Michael Dowdry, and Dan Harris, shot by Newton Thomas Siegel. Uh, As we discussed in our X-Men episode, it would be great if you could donate to malesurvivor.org or rain.org, two wonderful organizations dedicated to helping survivors of sexual assault. The former is committed to preventing, healing, and eliminating all forms of sexual victimization of boys and men through treatment, research, education, advocacy, and activism. The latter is the uh, RAIN, R-A, 
INN.org is stands for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. They have an app as well as a National Sexual Assault Hotline, 800-656-HOPE, uh, as well as a chat now feature on the website. So please, if you have a chance, look into those. Think about donating. But moving on, um, this movie stars an ensemble cast of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, Ian McKellen as Magneto, Famke Jensen as Jean Grey, James Marsden as Cyclops, Halle Berry as Storm, Anna Paquin as Rogue, Rebecca Romaine as Mystique, Sean Ashmore as Iceman, all of those returning from the first one, um, plus notable newcomers to the franchise, Brian Cox as William Stryker, Kelly Hugh as Lady Deathstrike, and Alan Cumming as Nightwing. I'm sorry, Nightcrawler. What did I say Nightwing for? <laughs> anyway, Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler. So, had you all seen this movie before? I have seen this. I will say, honestly, from between the first X-Men to, like, first class, all of those movies are very, very blurry to me because I haven't seen them in a long time. So this, even though it wasn't my first time watching it, it was definitely, like, it felt like a new experience. It wasn't my first time, but as Jason stated, and... My situation is very similar to his. I have not seen this movie in years. The only really like scene that I generally remember is the Lady Deathstrike fight scene between Wolverine and, as I mentioned, Lady Deathstrike. And that's really it. I don't really remember like anything about the movie. I don't even remember the plot of the movie. So, well, there we go. Like, that's what this uh, whole podcast is for, is just to rewatch these things and decide whether we like them or not. And the results are pretty solid so far. I have yet to be met with a disappointment. But anyway, moving on. Well, I'm assuming you mean a disappointment in something you thought you would like yes. and didn't. Because we've oh, watched the, plenty of stinkers. So far, my expectations Definitely. have been met. Okay, I was just going to say. I was like, yeah. you tell me. You were like, so, oh, Supergirl, So far, girl, all that my shit, expectations man. have been met, generally. It doesn't really, like, it's not like the opposite of what I was expecting. Okay, yeah, that's at some point we should talk about, uh, when we're further down the line, we should probably talk about, like, surprise hi- surprise hits for us and surprise duds. That, that would definitely be fun to talk about later on when it's, when it's some more movies that we've seen before. In terms of me, I vaguely remember seeing this movie, but it has escaped my mind from when I was a child. I do remember the same fight scene that Matt talked about, but that was it, and... I don't really know if I remembered too much about it, which was interesting to go back to it because I actually kind of enjoyed getting to see it again. I'm right in the same boat. I remembered even less than y'all did. I I don't even remember. I didn't even remember that fight scene. Go, fight scene going into this. I was pure. The only thing I remembered was I was like I was like I think this is the one where Nightcrawler shows up, and that was all I had. I'm a, I'll round it out because I'm in a similar boat too. I probably remember it the best because I ra- wa- last watched it a few years ago. Um, when I watched through these, but that was still a few years ago, and I kind of just mostly had, like, a rough outline of, like, the concept of the movie, because other than that, I hadn't watched it. Like, we were all very young um, when this movie came out, so I think I never saw it in theaters, and when I watched it, I was a kid still, so um, my memory's only so much there, though the one thing I always sticks out is um, Nightcrawler. One, Nightcrawler has been one of my favorites, but this movie has a hell of an opening um, with him, so... On that note, uh, the plot begins at the White House where a brainwashed teleporting mutant named Nightcrawler attacks the President of of the United States, wounding several agents. He's shot and retreats. 
Meanwhile, Logan explores an abandoned military installation at Alkali Lake in Alberta for clues to his past, but finds nothing. Jean Grey has been having premonitions and struggles to concentrate as her powers become increasingly difficult to control. Later, Logan returns to P Professor X's school for mutants, and Xavier tracks Nightcrawler using Cerebro. Xavier and Cyclops go to question the imprisoned Magneto about the attack, thinking he could be responsible, while or at least know something, while X-Men's... The X-Men Storm and Jean Grey retrieve Nightcrawler. Military scientist Colonel Stryker approaches the president and receives approval to investigate Xavier's mansion for their ties to the mutants in the wake of the recent attack, using evidence of the, uh, the Black Hawk jet on their campus. Stryker's forces invade the school and abduct some mutants. Colossus leads the attack. Um, sorry, Colossus leads the remaining students to safety while Logan, Rogue, Iceman, and Pyro escape and Stryker's assistant, Yuriko Oyama, um, or Lady Deathstrike, captures Cyclops and Xavier. During the attack, Logan confronts Stryker, who addresses him as Wolverine and seems to know about his past. So, one thing right off the bat is this plot synopsis is maybe the most condensed that we've come across. Um, so there's a lot to go through, but I do kind of want to start with the aforementioned opening, because I think this movie comes out with, as I said, one hell of an opening, a wonderful, captivating action piece of Nightcrawler teleporting throughout the White House. Um, and it's just the type of thing where if you're not familiar with that character, it's who is this, what are his motives, it's just really interesting. And then if you are familiar with Nightcrawler from outside of the movie, it's so out of character from what you know that it's intriguing and you want to know, like, why are we in this situation where Nightcrawler is trying to assassinate the president? So that's really interesting. And then I also cutting to um, a scene that's not really talked about here, but the X-Men in the museum leading to uh, Professor X kind of de-escalating a situation by basically paralyzed, you know, temporarily, like, factors resetting all the humans so they're not, like, moving for a sec. Um, and both of those scenes, to me, set, like, such an interesting tone of where humanity is at with mutant relations and also showcase powers in a really exciting way yeah i i agree with with what jake said i also i'm glad you brought up uh because i was gonna say the same thing of a um, i was i just kept thinking about while watching the the beginning uh with nightcrawler thinking about if you weren't familiar with nightcrawler at all and suddenly you're seeing just like these flashes of this blue guy teleporting and whatever so I, I also love that. It's so intriguing right from the jump. I'm going to add that, like, yeah, I, I honestly found it really interesting. It's definitely a great way to start a movie with that whole sequence. I just think, like, the way that it introduces Nightcrawler and the way that it goes about it, I think I really love the scene. I honestly thought it was a great way to start the movie. And also, yeah, like you said, goes does a great job of showing, like, everybody's powers and kind of going from there. And like Jake said, it it captures your attention and hooks you in whether you know nightcrawler or not because if you don't know nightcrawler as a character then you don't know you know you're dropped into this mysterious like attack on the white house and if you do know nightcrawler as a character then you're unclear of why he's doing this because this isn't in character for him so like no matter what no matter what your uh knowledge of the source is it kind of captures you right away that's generally how it goes i'm trying trouble like what to add i guess this what i'll add is yeah it does do a really good job at um demonstrating that powers 
it also does a great job of just showing like how powerless people are against mutants like this nightcrawler unhinged like well first of all it it kind of spoiled like i kind of spoiled like near the end of the film in which they revealed that nightcrawler was brainwashed at the beginning so that's a little something but anyway that's a good point yeah you don't know when it's happening that he's brainwashed you don't know that nightcrawler is being brainwashed you just see a mutant attacking the president and then you see him pull up the knife about to stab the president until he gets shot and then he retreats and the knife on it says i believe mutant freedom it has i know yeah, it has so it's now not, it's yeah, either mutant so, freedom now or mutant yeah right so now. they're it's not supposed to, to reveal that, that he was brainwashed they were just thinking that he was you know some kind of like liberation mutant who wants to kill the president because of you know like the tensions between the humans and the mutants right now the humans are planning to it seems like he's just an extremist and it's not until later in which you get to meet him you realize like what the fuck this dude is an extremist there's no way because he's found like praying he's very docile he's very humble he's very kind but we'll get to that later but it it also did a very good job yes i do think the movie kind of though before between the museum scene and the opening with nightcrawler and then the, the invasion from Stryker's forces on the school, it kind of slows down a little bit. I, the movie kind of comes out with this like breakneck pace of those two really intense scenes. And then while there's some like nice moments in the middle there of getting to see mutants kind of use their powers for everyday life, like Bobby cooling the soda down with his ice powers, I do think it kind of hits a bit of a... Not too long, but a bit of a slowdown before Stryker invades the school. Yeah, it, it definitely... I don't think it like... It's, I don't, wouldn't say that it, like, gets, it doesn't bore me as I'm watching that. It just, it definitely is a bit of a lull when it comes out hitting like that, and then you kind of have to wait for more of that. I was about to say, you, you kind of need to, mostly because it came out swinging with a big, big fight scene, and then shortly after it hits you with a humongous fight scene, and, uh, excuse me, uh, in which you, Xavier's school was being attacked by Striker's forces. And so you do need a little bit of downtime because they don't just be too much. You already got two big fight scenes within like the first, like, I would say like 45 minutes. And so you really need to know exactly what's happening and why these things are happening. I feel like it's a symptom of just, you know, you come out that high, exactly. you do kind of have to slow down a little bit. So I do agree with Matt that it's just kind of a symptom of that, not necessarily I... the movie being paced poorly. But it still is a little, you know... I don't necessarily think it's paced poorly. To me, it's almost more of an issue with, like, we talked in the last one about how there's a lot of characters in these movies, and a lot of them are just kind of there. I think it's one of those things where they, because of that, they have to play catch-up and be like, okay, this is what everybody's been up to. But I'd rather you just, like, excise what feels like filler to me and just keep a breakneck pace. It feels like this movie could have been, like, 10 to 12 shorter and just been, like, a really, like, fast-paced action movie. And that's not necessarily what I'm going for right now, but I, I just think I would have preferred that in this instance. Yeah, that's I didn't fair. really feel like the tone... Well, no, not the tone. The uh, the pacing really, like, slowed down a lot. Mostly because, like, as I mentioned before, like, it was so fast at the beginning that I just needed something to... I just needed to slow down, right? I needed to, like, digest what exactly was happening. And they did. And because there wasn't a lot of uh, exposition before as to what was happening, it came in the middle in which they needed to. But I'm glad it did because they did, it did have a good payoff in the end. But I can't talk about that now because we're not that far at the uh, plot yet. 
But I do want to talk about um, when Striker's forces is invading Xavier's school. That is a great fight scene. That really showed uh, Wolverine's powers. Even though we did get a good taste of it in the first movie, we get like a we basically got like ice bucketed with like Wolverine just dicing people up in the most PG way possible. It was still oddly PG in this, but like. They yeah, do it, it a lot super better PG in, this, in the first one. This, one. this one, as Sean said, is much better. But of course, you can't have blood. You can't do all that. You can't yeah. see appendages being sliced off. We're we're far off from Logan, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah, I I definitely would say would agree with you that this one's better in that sense. I was actually thinking that while watching the movie that mm -hmm. Wolverine it's mostly was just cause, cooler in this. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he just does he's cooler shit. Stuff to do. It also helps that Hugh Jackman like gained like fifty pounds of muscle between like the last X Men and to this one. Like this is like the Hugh Jackman we see now, like the super that, buff one <laughs> that bends iron bars. Mm -hmm. That definitely does help, but uh, I I do think. In general, I think this movie with Wolverine does a better job of, like, depicting that action in a PG-13 way than most, yeah. like, PG-13 yeah. action movies now. I, I think they that it's a pretty... I, I think he's, you know, it threads that line pretty well of him being actually cool and using his claws while still mm -hmm. fitting the PG-13 requirements. Yeah, I think the only thing I just found hilarious was whenever he stabbed someone, there was, like, his claws would come out perfectly clean. Yeah. As much as I, I don't think that's, like, a terrible thing, that's just what you have to do to make it PG-13, I just find it funny that every time yeah, I look at it, it I'm also like, helps oh, that yeah. he leaves, like, no indent on their clothes whatsoever, so it looked like he stabbed them with, like, magic, magic pixels. Or, like, some air claws, which killed them from the inside. But it was still pretty cool. And it's like a, it's it's like one of the things, like, you blink if you miss it moment. So you really only notice that on, like, on like previews and rewatches. But honestly, it doesn't really matter for me. I still like the scenes. Although the one criticism I have was you have, like, a lot of characters in the Xavier household, like Iceman, like Pyro, although Pyro, there's a good reason why he doesn't use the powers, and then like Rogue, and they only really highlight Wolverine. We don't even really get like a highlight as to Iceman's powers until like when they were trying to escape, and Iceman helps Wolverine escape by forming an ice wolf between him and Striker and his forces. That actually kind of brings up something I wanted to mention in that I think it's cool in a sense how they they put a lot of x-men yeah. characters in like colossus yeah. or Shadowcat that have like little cameo moments in these movies and that's sort of neat and i guess is better than not using them at all but at the same time like i can't help but feel disappointed when characters as great as those are just kind of reduced to yeah hey this guy in the school and he is wasn't colossus. even russian that's the worst part. Like, I don't, I don't really know that there's a solution there because I'm already complaining about but it being overstuffed. that's the worst part. Like, he wasn't but... even Russian. He just talked like a jock, and I hate it so much. But I also believe the reason why we don't get that many X-Men characters is the reason why we don't have, like, Beast or, like, Sentinels. I think this movie had, like, a big budget cut uh, thing going on in which a bunch of, like, planned characters were taken out. I'm not even sure that... Um, Colossus was like a part of that and there's that's the reason why even though he's in the movie he's in it for so little but yeah we don't even get to see him fight like we get to see him turn metal 
you know, the soldiers try to shoot him. Of course, it bounces off of him. But then we don't even get to see him, like, throw people against uh through the wall. We just see the after. No, we just see, like, the other side of the wall. We just see the soldiers getting thrown through it. We don't see Colossus doing it. So we honestly don't even get to see him, you know, do any action. It was just all Wolverine. And which is cool. What, what, what Wolverine does, what Logan does is awesome. But I just wish there was more variety in the action. I I mean that's gonna be an issue, I think, as we continue through the X-Men franchise, the the overfocus on Logan and also just the the lack of adapting certain stranger elements, more out there elements of X-Men. And I don't wanna like I'm gonna have a lot to say about that later, especially as they start to like sort of soft adapt some of that, but like be too scared to do the more out there elements. But on a more positive note, one of the things that I think the franchise does well and that is showcased in the, the raid on the school is the level of stakes. I think they do a really strong job making it feel like the characters are actually vulnerable. And when you're when you're seeing this like jarring imagery of a paramilitary, like private organization led by this religious fanatic raiding a school and trying to abduct children, um, because of who they are and can't help being it's that's jarring but i i think two only two movies in it already does to me at least feel like yeah characters can get hurt and bad things gonna happen and it's not like they just like like they come in and they get the jump on everyone and they succeed in like certain goals that they have um and i appreciate that because i think it's all too easy in like superhero movies to make characters feel suit like sort of invincible and really remove the stakes, but I haven't really noticed that too deep as far as the uh, two movies deep as far as the X Men go. Yeah, that is very true. And I'm going to talk about one thing, and it's that they do a really good job of like establishing Striker as like basically a psychopath, and just yeah, he's basically a psychopath who just hates mutants so much. And I, I was going to say something that's uh going to be more relevant later on so i'm just going to hold that off but um so in the beginning when they're establishing his character he's basically it's time to tell the president how the mutants are a big threat and i'm just going to spoil it mystique disguised as a senator who died in the first movie i believe uh basically was pointed out one of the pictures of the xavier school and she pointed out that it's a school and then he immediately rebuttals and says, no, it isn't. It just immediately establishes what he thinks of mutants. And it's just like, you know, it makes his actions make sense. It doesn't make it like come out of nowhere that he just hates mutants and just sees them as creatures. Uh, yeah, he doesn't even call mutants like human beings or sentient beings. He just calls them creatures later on in the series. He just does not see them in any sort of positive light i want to move forward on the plot a little bit there's like because there's so much more i want to say but i want to move it move it on a little but i do just want to say i'm surprised that jason didn't bring up the uh in sync usage oh yeah i did appreciate that <laughs> i laughed at that actually i laughed when that happened because i i don't like i said this most of these x-men movies until first class are kind of a blur to me so I didn't remember that at all, but I, I do appreciate some NSYNC. And it's a nice moment of brevity brevity after, like, a pretty intense moment. Yeah, also NSYNC's second best boy band of all time to One Direction. <laughs> oh, hey, well, you have to drop more in-depth rankings another time. It's one day. 
<laughs> so the shape-shifting mystique gains information about Magneto's prison and helps him escape while also discovering schematics for a second Cerebro. Um, she helps him escape via injecting more lead into a uh, guard that she roofied so that Magneto can pull the lead out of his blood. I mean, sorry, iron. Why am I saying lead? So she injects more iron into him so I Magneto can rip it out. Yeah, everyone knows we have lead in our blood. I just misspoke. So Magneto can rip the iron out of his body and escape prison, which is just fucking crazy. So I don't want to brush over that. Meanwhile, Logan, Rogue, Iceman, and Pyro visit Iceman's parents and brother in Boston and meet up with Storm, Gene, and Nightcrawler. Um, fuck Bobby's parents as they... Well, fuck Bobby's family, but specifically his brother, who calls the cops on them and lies that they're being held hostage by mutants. The X-Jet is attacked by fighter jets while flying back to the mansion and is shot down, but Magneto saves them from crashing. Magneto explains to the group that Stryker has built the second Cerebro and plans to use it to force Xavier to telepathically kill every mutant on the planet. Stryker's son, Jason, a mutant with mind-controlling powers, whom Stryker will use to force Xavier to do so. He's basically experimented on his own son after blaming his son for the death of his wife. Stryker had also previously used Jason's power to orchestrate Nightcrawler's attack as a pretense to gain approval to invade the Xavier mansion. Um, as Matt referenced before, Magneto also tells Wolverine that Stryker was the man who grafted his animantium skeleton onto his bones and is responsible for his amnesia. Gene reads Nightcrawler's mind and determines that Stryker's base is underground in a dam at Alkali Lake, where Wolverine was at the start of the movie looking for information about his past. So again, there's a lot that's like really condensed there. I think most notably the interaction with Bobby's family. Um, and then the the police confrontation after that, where you had where uh, as as I said, Bobby Iceman's brother calls the police, lies. The police show up, you know, ready to shoot at these people that have done nothing wrong. Even shoot actually shoot Wolverine in the head, though obviously he he survives thanks to his healing ability. You see the bullet come out of his forehead. It's 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 cool, and it kind of sets Pyro off and is like. Pyro's arc in the movie is really him moving towards the Brotherhood and Magneto's side of things. So there's there's a lot going on there, and I think it it is the scene that really hits home on the movie's themes of ex further exploring the hatred that mutants are going through, and that there is an active movement for genocide, and there's like no two ways about it. That's what people are trying to do. Yeah, and I think that. It, it even, that scene even hits well on, like, the more, like, subtle forms of prejudice that it, that the X-Men are kind of meant to represent in the sense that, like, you see Bobby, uh, you know, he has been lying to his family that he's in a prep school, not in this mutant school, because he doesn't want them to know that he's a mutant because he's ashamed and because of how the world views him, and, and it... it you know, then he, they go to his parents' house and they're accepting in how, in the words they're saying, but they're still being like weird and off put by it. And, and I think that that's an important, I think that's a really good commentary on how, uh, the, the subtle ways that prejudice and, and hateful, uh, beliefs can, can even pollute in small ways 
you know, the conversations we have with each other. That's an excellent point because I think it does showcase different levels of it. You said Bobby potentially having a little bit of internalized hatred for himself, as well as Bobby's brother, who obviously is a lot more outward with that hatred. But then Bobby's, I, I believe he has a second sibling who's just kind of sitting there. You don't really get much out of that character. Maybe you could potentially see that as just acceptance, but Bobby's parents who are like sort of trying to be supportive, but also hit him with that. Have you tried not being a mutant? Right. Um, they're and they're being really... supportive. It to They think they're being as supportive as they can be, but really they're just kind of making him feel more unaccepted by with these slight little things, you know, these slight little yeah, it's, jabs it's, at him. It's the type of, type of thing where you'd like hope that they could learn type of you know exactly that you know yeah. you can fix ignorance um you can't fix hate necessarily um at least not very easily but it, it, it also hits a little funnier now that like again in like late 2010s you had i mean early 2010s you had um iceman being canonized as gay in the comics wasn't the case at the time but i think the scene's a little bit almost ironically funny when you have a lot of a lot of the language used towards Bobby is what people would say to a, a gay child, a trans child of theirs. That was not the case for the character at the time, but now is. I also thought that was interesting. Yeah. How, how that kind of, in some sense, unintentionally ended up coming around full circle. I think to, to like add to that too, I think it just goes to show how much the X-Men and the metaphor that it stands for is so timeless. Because it can apply to any marginalized yeah. group and i really love I, and appreciate that that's something that you can see even in this movie and throughout any of the x-men stuff it's just really neat it it's timeless and it's poignant because it's just you know it's something that so many people deal with and that is so such a big part of the world that i think having the x-men be in existence and as a you know fictional group that portrays that is so important and i think that that scene shows it so well i mean even like you know jake mentioned them shooting wolverine you know cops shooting at people is not you know an unknown issue in today's world so you know that even that is is you know poignant today and it sucks that it's still poignant today but it is and i i love that we can look back on this and it's such a powerful piece still now and it still is apt now and it is you know i just think that's great that's all i have to say to to build on that i mean one of the tragedies of it being relevant today is so i, I mean to circle back you talk about the x-men being created by a couple of jewish men in the 60s and all of the x-men being white um and as a, as a metaphor for marginalized groups, will you talk about for a lot of Jewish people, they can be, you know, quote unquote, white passing. But then you, you start to get into ideas of mutants like Nightcrawler that can't pass as humans, people, people in marginalized groups that can't necessarily pass as white. And there's different struggles for those who can and those who can't. But then you talk about the scenes in this movie from 2003 and the things you're seeing happen in 2023 in terms of the treatment of trans and non-binary people with politicians and people in that sphere calling for an outright genocide um, to remove transgenderism and trying to pass laws to ban um, gender-affirming care, drag, anything to do with something that's not just anything queer, basically. And that's what I think makes Stryker such an effective and truly scary villain, the most 
to me terrifying that we've encountered so far in the podcast because that is, he is a religious fanatic who is actively, you know, calling for the eradication of a group of people. And that is so real. And I think that's a reason why throughout time, the X-Men have increasingly become very popular in the queer community. Um, you have Grant Morrison, who they wrote a very acclaimed run of X-Men in which they made a point to say, you know, mutants like any other group of marginalized people are going to kind of develop their own culture and certain cultural elements to them. So let's let's write in what what's mutant fashion like and mutant music and that, you know, how, how does a group of people live when they're kind of in that unchosen isolation? And for a movie that's 20 plus years old now, it's just watching it really hit hard on just how much there is to go for a lot of people. Um, and it's not just obviously you talk about people of color and that that's there's a lot of stuff to fix there. But it's just with everything in the news currently, it was impossible for me to not be watching this through that lens of what is happening to queer people, trans people, non-binary people. Yeah, I mean, I everything you said, I agree with, but I just, you know, I, I think it's important to look at this film not not just as a comic book film. I think it's so easy to write off superhero movies as superhero movies, but when you talk about a group like this, it's just it has so much impact and so much to say beyond just superheroes and saving the day and this and that and and all the clichés that come with that. And I think that this movie does that well. I think it shows that in that scene particularly shows it shows well how those marginalized groups feel sometimes and how it can be a struggle in day-to-day things and whether it be from a, a bigger power like the government or in this case in the film striker or whether it be something uh, on a smaller scale like even your family uh just disapproving of you it, it's something that's so so important for the world to know and I felt that watching this, rewatching it with an adult lens, I, I really felt that. That's all I got. Disguised as Logan, Mystique infiltrates Stryker's base. She lets the rest of the mutants in, and Magneto and Mystique go to disable Cerebro before the brainwashed Xavier can activate it. Storm and Nightcrawler rescue the captured students, and Jean finds a mind con- uh, fights a mind-controlled Cyclops. Their batter free- <clears throat> Excuse me, I had to burp. <laughs> Their battle frees Cyclops but damages the dam, which begins to rupture, um, threatening everyone's lives. Logan finds Stryker in an adamantium smelting lab and remembers it is where he received his adamantium skeleton. He's getting a lot of traumatic flashbacks. Logan then fights and kills Yuriko, um, Lady Deathstrike, and then chases Stryker to a helicopter pad and chains him to the helicopter's wheel. Magneto stops Cerebro and, using Mystique impersonating Stryker to command Jason, has Xavier redirect its powers on humans now trying to kill every human on the planet. The two subsequently use Stryker's helicopter to escape, accompanied by Pyro, who has been swayed to Magneto's views. Nightcrawler teleports Storm inside Cerebra, where she creates a snowstorm to break Jason's concentration and free Xavier from his control. So, once again, a lot of stuff really hyper-compressed there. So, I do think it's kind of neat to get to see the Brotherhood and the X-Men work together here against a common enemy. 
Um, I think that's really nice. I think the movie then kind of ruins it by doing the whole, well, let's have Magneto now try to commit genocide thing. Um, like, to me, like, there's a big gap between saying Magneto wants to pull, like, assassinations of particular high-profile anti-mutant individuals and Magneto wants to commit genocide against every human on the planet. And I just think that makes it so, like boringly black and white that i don't appreciate it yeah i i want to say that i think black and white's a good way of putting it because i think so much of this movie kind of shows the it kind of shows the gray area in the sense that like you said the the brotherhood and the x-men are working together and it kind of shows that even though they disagree so much on how to get to the goal that they both ultimately want of mutant acceptance and mutant empowerment that even though they're so different in their goals on how to get there they can still come together to to agree that this guy is wrong and he's in the wrong and it kind of just kind of throws that to the side with with magneto you know just ending up being the bad guy too yeah i didn't really i i don't know if it was to me obviously these movies can get cartoony but that felt like a cartoony evil villain like have to destroy the world kind of ending and for everything else that these movies have had uh, the x-men movies have had it just doesn't feel as nuanced as it should be when everything else in these movies tend to be fairly nuanced uh so it just kind of it took me out of it yeah it felt like to me like his motivation in doing that was simply because he's a quote-unquote bad guy and because that's what a quote-unquote bad guy should do in a scenario in that movie but when it comes down to like the actual character and the message of the film it just kind of gets messy when you have him completely switch on a dime and and not switch on a dime because i guess that was his motive all along but to have that be his motive to me takes away from the message the greater message of the rest of the film yeah it's it just feels outright lazy to have have because there's an actual moral quandary in your if you're talking about a civil rights movement and these people fighting for their right to live and the light light right to live happy being like what's the line in terms of violence in terms of in terms of death versus being like there's pretty much no way you could ever justify killing outright innocent people especially billions of them so rather than like actually having a scenario where you have to stop and think about where that line falls for you and what you believe in you just get to be like oh well you know that's bad so that's just so much less interesting um and hurts so much of the other things the movie's doing because you have these things where like pyro has this conversation with magneto on the plane where he's you know pyro says to him they say you're the bad guy and eric says oh is that what they say and the idea of is he the bad guy or not um just kind of melts away there's no debate when he just wants to kill all these people who have done you know many of whom have just you know some of them are mutant allies so yeah i I think that they they show the extremism of magneto in much better ways in certain aspects of you know him you know earlier on when you know wanting in the first movie wanting to make everyone a mutant or that was his plot right in the first one for the most part um to me this was this wasn't a good display of him being an extremist in wanting the best for mutants it was just him kind of being a 
giant piece of shit. I also want to talk about, um, because both Sean and Matt kind of mentioned it at the jump, the very memorable fight between Yuriko and Wolverine. Um, I think it's a super, like, my brief thoughts are that it's a super well-choreographed fight, and that, um, Lady Deathstrike's death is really just really sad because similar to also what's happening with Jason you're talking about a mutant that's basically been trapped into serving someone that hates them and then ultimately having to be killed you can see that Wolverine really doesn't want to do that um in a very excruciating fashion injecting her with liquid endomantium so she sinks to the bottom of this like tank for you know, everything that she's doing is against her will. It's just, it's it's a painful watch when you think about it. Yeah, that death is also surprisingly brutal for PG-13. I actually was, that's the one part that surprised me looking back. I agree with that. It's de- It def- definitely is brutal, because especially when you think about it, like, he's just drowning her with hot metal. Like, that is, that is some sick shit. But also, in the greater sense, it's... I think they, they show that scene well, because it shows his, uh, dis, his, uh... He kind of has some, uh, what's the word? Hesitance to do it, uh, but he realizes it's his real only way out. So, I, I, I think that, that shows his heroic side well. That he doesn't want to do that, but it's his only way. Well, I don't think he was hesitant to kill her because he was in like a desperate situation but like he was kind of like in the moment and then he saw a way out which was pumping her full of adamantium and then when he finally did it he realized like what she was and she was basically a brainwashed mutant when he saw her eyes clear and then he like winces when he sees her like you know regain consciousness and then being realized she's being pumped full of freaking molten molten metal and so he, he realized what he's done he winces and he's not proud of what he's done he looks away because he just realized of what he has done and well i know it's like a detail but when she like sunk into the water and then just went boom like metal uh like metal being sli- uh hit near the ground it's a cool detail but i don't know i i laughed unintentionally i don't know why i found that funny but <laughs> i don't know why yeah. either i what i oh, i think it's weird that he laughed at that but it i was will sad. say that everything he said before that is a better way of saying mm-hmm. what i was trying to say yeah because so just listen to what it's because it's sad because like she <laughs> because it was established in the beginning sad wolverine you know wolverine realizing that she's uh um, brainwashed another version of him basically that he would have been in her position had he not escaped and yeah definitely feeling that feeling like he's a killer even though he doesn't want i mean we be. even see at the beginning like a lot of the guilty carries we even see at the beginning like uh the drug that striker was basically uh putting her on was starting to wear off and she's like starting to become more aware and then he like drags her head down puts more of the drug in her neck and then she just becomes a robot again like, it's clearly like the drug make her doing all these things this is clearly not what she wanted to do but unfortunately is, is taking a, a complete effect over her and she basically does his beck and call and unfortunately she fought wolverine with a adamantium pump right next to, right next to him so it's, it's just really unfortunate it is really sad but like yeah like just just seeing wolverine just like just i don't know it's just like i'm getting like lost in my thoughts right now but i'm basically what i'm trying to get at it is a really really sad scene and it's just 
more of the like the prejudice that these mutants go through. Like they're basically made, they're basically made to serve. They're being brainwashed, yeah, and they're forced to kill themselves in this scenario, and it's really really sad. But like, bro, sick fight. Though. It was a sick fight. Yeah, it, that, that fight was. It amazing. was a sick fight. It was a. It was a sick fight. It was a very sick fight. <laughs> Which was why I. This is like the scene that I remember. And yeah, Wolvie Wolf, just realizing that she has the same powers that he does. And just seeing that signature uh, Hugh Jackman eyebrow raise, it was great. This is Hugh like, Jackman. It's ten times better than The Rock. The Rock has nothing on Hugh Jackman. In fact, The Rock, Rock I is. I tend to agree. The Rock's eyebrow raise Why is overrated. Why did you even make the comparison? Because <laughs> huh? <laughs> the, the Rock the... raises his eyebrow. Exactly. <laughs> I know, but they're so different other than that. Well, I understood. Yeah, see, fuck oh, yeah. you, Jake. You know what? Listen, listen, don't talk to Matt like that, all right? Don't ever yeah, I'll disrespect quit. him. I'll quit. On my podcast I will not hesitate to quit. Right? I'm going to sit my white ass down and mm-hmm. listen. Exactly. <laughs> you lose your only minority and you will lose many privileges when once I leave. I do want to say though uh also on the topic of uh what the fuck is that woman's name X23? No, you mean Lady Deathstrike? <laughs> Wait, in this movie? Yeah, <laughs> you mean Lady I know Death it's Strike? not X23. <laughs> Lady Deathstrike or Yuriko is her okay. first name. Her. How come I know this and you don't, Jason? <laughs> I, I Jesus Christ, Jason! What are you gonna say? I knew it. What? No, I actually have a completely. This is this isn't nearly as stupid as that. As that, I got the stupidity out of the way. Um, I got the her, stupidity out of the way. <laughs> her character, as well as a uh, striker's son, Jason. I don't like using him by name because my name's Jason, but striker's son. Uh, I think that those are also great characters that are very allied, like. Uh, that basically are like allegories in my eyes to like how racist people or homophobic people or people who there are so many uh people who are who stand against certain groups and support things that go against the the uh you know prosperity of those groups but will still you know listen to the music or buy the clothes that are attached to that culture or that group uh, in the same, like, for example, I, I'm sure all of us can think of people that we went to high school with that were probably the most racist people we've met, but also only listened to hip hop. And it's, I think like, that's a very simple way of putting it, but it's kind of the same idea of this person who's so vehemently against it, but when it serves him and when it's something that he can use to help him, what's when it's something good for him then it's okay you know it's okay for lady deathstrike and and, uh uh jason to be using their mutant powers because it's for him and it's for him to have you know his own cause i mean that's a good point for me i just saw it as like he just sees them as tools to an end and then he he just uses them as weapons he doesn't really see them as people i i I don't not just i don't think that that's you know an incorrect way of reading it either i just it's definitely a more simplistic way of looking at it i think those are i think those are complementary i think if you're the type of person that has a prejudice against any group of people but then also um absorb and appreciate elements of their culture of their art which again obviously it's fine to do you could be there's nothing like inherently wrong with like being white and listening to hip-hop as the example that jason previously used or any of that but i i think that i mean to what matt's point of saying that striker uses them as a means to an end i i mean i think that's it striker is you're probably not viewing these people as human if you're absorbing 
stuff that they make, but discounting them as people. And Stryker is using these people's natural gifts for his own personal gain and then discarding them like they're subhuman. Well, yeah, yeah like he and, even and treats and his like own son like that. The example that I think of, too, is like uh, Lil Nas X once like someone tweeted at him and was like, I don't fuck with the gay shit, but this song is hard or something. And he like replied to them and said, if you say shit like this, don't bump my shit. Cause it's like, it's, it, you know, it's that same idea of like, if you're not going to support that culture and that group, then, but you're still going to use it for your own selfish needs. It, it's the same ideal, you know? And so I think what Matt said is also accurate. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the only reason why like, they fuck with that shit is because they can't steal it anymore. Because back then, they just straight up stole it. He is correct. <laughs> this is true. This like, is true. who do you think invented rock and roll? It's not Elvis Presley, by the way. 100%. Good points. I mean, that's. I think that's a really strong connection that I hadn't thought of in terms of that parallel to real life between Stryker's use of weaponized mutants. Yeah, that was just all I could think about <laughs> watching it. No, that's, that's really good. That's, that's insightful, man. So, not to... Uh, let's move on with the plot. Rather than just continuing to, you know, jerk ourselves off here. Um, the X-Men, ra- really wrapping up the plot. The X-Men flee the dam as water engulfs it, killing Stryker, who had previously offered Wolverine information about his past to let him escape. But Wolverine removes his dog tag and basically says, not worth it. Um, but the X-Jet loses all power and struggles to take flight as flood water rushes towards them. Jean sneaks off the jet and te- telepathically wishes the team goodbye um, talking to them through Xavier as she holds back the flow of water just long enough for them to escape as the jet raises above um, the flames are wrapped around her body and she lets go allowing the flood to crash down and kill her or at least presumably kill her um, the X-Men give Strikers files to the president and Xavier warns him that humans and mutants have to work together in order to build peace Back at the school, Xavier, Cyclops, and Logan remember Jean and Xavier. Um, remember Jean and Xavier begins to hold the class. Meanwhile, a phoenix-like shape rises from the flooded Alkali Lake. So that's how the movie wraps up, um, and that actually kind of gets to the gist of the wrap-up. So, in terms of the flood scene and Jean's death and saving of the X-Men, I feel that in isolation, it is a well-done scene. It is important stakes it's i think it's really well i think it's emotional the way she talks to both logan um and scott specifically but really all of the team through charles and her death is it, it's there's a level of impact there and again that level of feeling like characters aren't necessarily safe in these movies that said i kind of almost it, it, it's an unfortunate fortunate setup to I don't want to get into the X-Men The Last Stand and its attempt, um, the first attempt to adapt the Dark Phoenix saga to live action because we will talk about that when that movie comes up. But it, it's hard to not watch this knowing that that emotional death scene is really just set up for a really, really clunky movie. Yeah. And also things are a little bit limited just because Gene is so underdeveloped in these movies and basically just used for scott also undeveloped to fight with logan over that while it is really well done and emotional like in isolation when you're looking at the whole of both the first and second x-men movies i'm kind of like who really was gene yeah that was my thing was that i never really got to really get close to gene's character 
because she wasn't really that prevalent in the first movie because she was just basically serving as a love interest be- and like the like the the premise of a tri- a love triangle between Logie and Scott. And then she mostly does the same thing here. She does get some development in this movie, but it's not enough to care about uh, you know, her, like about her dying. When I was the watching, the biggest development we ever get for her is her dying. There we see the selflessness. Yeah, exactly. Like we we do but see some that, things. Like, we do see some things here and there, but it's, it wasn't anything prevalent. It wasn't anything separated from Scott or Logan. So when she dies, you feel sad for Scott and Logan, but you don't really feel sad because she died. I agree. I I think it's a per. I think it's a fine scene, but it. Definitely, Gene is underdeveloped in the first two movies, and it makes this scene less impactful because of that. Uh, you really only care about it in a human sense because uh, it's a human dying who's, you know, in in the sense of this movie, the good guy. Other than that, like, the character's not developed enough for me to care that much that she's dying, so I agree with that. I don't remember what happens with her character in the next one, so I can't speak to what Jake's talking about. Yeah, to me, it's like, uh, speaking towards, I guess, the next X-Men movie, it's more like it it feels heavily like a missed opportunity of, like, even though it's like, I don't feel like she's characterized much at all, and they don't really delve much into her, like, that could have been a good chance to, like, go more into her character, and... I don't think there's any good way they could have gotten around this, and I don't think I... Seeing this in the movie, it's fine. It's just I don't think there's any situation where this could have gone well afterwards, I guess. It's too little too late, I think, because if you really wanted to build to the Dark Phoenix saga, you should have made the first couple of movies more focused on Gene. Her and Scott... Her and Scott should have been at least co-leads with Logan, um, but they're really not at all. They mostly serve to be a love triangle for Logan and not anything else beyond that. They don't really serve to be their own characters. In fact, Scott doesn't really have like a character outside of loving Gene and being Gene's boyfriend. And then being like a, a being like sort of an ass to Logan, but it's more like a fun like hate relationship. It's not like totally ma- like based on malice. But yeah, other than that, yeah, that's that's kind of a back and forth thing. Yeah, exactly. Going. But that's really a they don't really have out characters outside of each other and Logan. To me, the best way I can put it is that it feels like something that should be a main story that they shoved into a side story. I just feel like if anything, we should have a love triangle on the pod. Between who? That's a good question. Well, we're brothers. You proposed it, Sean. I was expecting you to have an answer. Yeah, I think so I think you can, can only be one of pick us. one. You can only pick one of me and Jake and Jason, and then the other two will have to be you and Matt. So the question is, who who is the third, me or Jason, and who is the one being fought over of the three people in the triangle? It's a good question. Right now. I think I should be the one being fought over. Sound off in the comments. I should be the one being fought over. be the one fought over. I deserve to be fought over. That's so on-brand of him. <laughs> I deserve that it. That is very on-brand. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, I think Sean and I should fight over Matt, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's the thing that makes the most sense. Fair enough. Damn. I think I, that tracks. I think I'm okay with that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel so popular right now. Do you feel loved? We're getting off the rails. A couple of things I wanted to say about the ending that I actually did fully like. Um, 
I think the most effective emotional note, um, God, my audio is going to be clipping like fucking crazy, um, is Wolverine's conversation with Stryker because of the fact that Wolverine is a fully fleshed out character and you understand how much learning about his past means to him. His, his decision to give that up to not let Stryker out, um, actually means a lot and it feels like a huge step for him to sort of start to move past that. Um, and figure out who he is based off of who he wants to be and not what happened to him. Um, and then I also do enjoy the scene in the Oval Office because I feel like it's it's not as much as it should be, but it does feel like there's at least a lesson learned for Xavier in what Magneto does that maybe he should start to be more aggressive because it's a bit of a threatening scene. Um and a little bit of learning that, like, maybe just sitting here and, like, running a school wasn't quite enough to actually get where we need to be going. Yeah, I agree. It's with... nice to see actual growth in core characters. I agree with that. I, I, it definitely is more... It's very... It's more confrontational than any uh, approach to the uh, mutant cause that we've seen from Xavier to this point. So, I, I agree that it definitely feels like he... It, it shows good... Uh, progression in his character to kind of take at least some aspect of Magneto what Magneto does and and build that into himself so I agree with that I think that's a, a very good scene at the end there so I I think I honestly like the last scene it definitely does a great job of I like seeing Xavier at the forefront of things and like making a push and it that was I I like I like that part the most I would have liked if they showed like what the president says afterwards um after the meeting and the confrontation with xavier but um i because i feel like it could have made the scene a little stronger but i still think it was good that's what i was confused about i thought it was going to be like a voiceover thing after you know the president after they tell the president to make the speech but uh, I guess the message still got across. I was just going to say I disagree because not to hold this to the, the highest of quality like the Watchmen comic, but I think it's kind of the element of them not being a, like a clear outcome of this confidation with the president leaves it in the viewer's hands of if you watch this movie and you don't jump ahead to obviously there was future X-Men movies, but just in like if you were to end the story here, which when this releases, that's the case, it puts you in a situation of how do, how do you as a viewer see the result of this? Is this going to make tensions worse or better? Is this going to help progress or hurt it? Um, how How does humanity, how does the president react and i think that's a lot more interesting than if you just be like right away here's the outcome of this confrontation spoilers for the watchman comic which ends with a similar it's in your hands thing but i do like that it, that it's a little bit open-ended because it's it, you know with government officials you never know how they're gonna take something so to to have it kind of in the viewer's hand to decide how they think he took that information I, I think that's that's good. I, th I think that's better than if they had left in what he says next and how he reacts to it. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's a terrible like notion for them to lead off on. And I like the idea of them leaving it in their own hand, like leaving it in your own hands and the viewer being smart enough to determine like what. I feel like that would have been a poignant part to also include some sort of yeah. stance and then seeing the uh, given that there is a sequel to this, seeing the after effects of that stance to provides a varying degree of, you know, gray area and like how do 
in terms of like especially from a political perspective how do these when you take a stance in any way shape or form how does that affect the whole of uh the stage of politics i guess in that case but like i i feel like there would have been a good nice possibility for them to have like a good i i don't want to say speech because i don't want the movie to speak to me right at the end about like you know uh, to like preach to me essentially but like um i do think it would have been a good good place to kind of like maybe hone in on that uh with the writing anyways um and if done well it could have turned out really great to like have a poignant ending to like to sum up the message of like you know don't you know don't treat marginalized groups terribly but obviously written better and in a more uh nuanced and uh appreciative way but i i feel like there is a possibility for that to have worked at that moment yeah i agree i agree that there's like a version including that that could be just as good but i i i think it's just that i i personally think that i prefer this to to what that would have been yeah, I guess it's just, like, I mean, it, like anything else, it's a matter of personal preference. I see what Sean's saying, though. No, nobody's allowed to have opinions. This podcast is not about opinions. This podcast is about facts. If it's all right, speaking of opinions that are really just facts, everyone, I'm going to m- move into my, like, kind of overall final thoughts. What I don't like about the movie is just the, um, definitely the use of last-minute soft heel turning magneto into straight up villain i think the movie's a better cleaner and more intellectually and emotionally honest movie without the sudden switch of primary antagonist at the end and as a whole this movie to me just like further cements that magneto's right obviously not about the genocide stuff of human humans but i just think that he the movie does a really good job striking that balance right up until it doesn't and then it's awful at it there's, there's a lot of little moments with Magneto. Um, one that I wanted to bring up earlier with Pyro in terms of another reason why I think the the this movie and the X-Men in general can really resonate with trans people because you have, you have this name that you choose for the identity that you have. And there's a point where Pyro looks at Magneto and Magneto says, what's your name? And he says, John. And he says, well, what's your real name, John? And, I mean, that's something that I have seen just um, through trans fans of the X-Men feeling really identified with the fact that throughout X-Men comics, there's this idea of your mutant name being your true name. And that's that's a moment in there that hits with that and is one of the strong suits of why you sort of – why you can see Magneto's point of view, again, right up until they just make him evil. So that's probably my biggest issue is the sw- – broad sweeping of magneto into being bad and the cut and dry overly optimistic view of xavier and then on on the positive note of things this is probably one of the best decisions of a story to adapt so this movie is a very loose adaptation of the x-men comic uh god loves man kills which is a very quick read it's an excellent lead you can read it no matter if you if you haven't read X Men before, you can absolutely read it on its own. I highly recommend it. Um, written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Brent Anderson, so it's a it's a pretty loose adaptation. But this is a it was a graphic novel released outside of the core X Men series, and it's a short story. Like I said, a quick read, and because of that, you can adapt it with a a bunch a lot of 
op creative liberties that open a lot of things up for your own interpretations. But B, it doesn't make you have to cram, as talked about in our previous episode with Daredevil, where they tried to cram like so many years of storytelling into one two-hour movie. You're only condensing so much, and it allows a lot more freedom with how you pace your movie, how you write your characters, what you include, what you change from the source material. So I just really appreciate the decision to actually do that because we're kind of in the middle, going to be in the middle of an era where quite the opposite happens, like I said previously in Daredevil and in the upcoming X3. So I just kind of wanted to take a second to appreciate the decision to take both, adapt both the quintessential X-Men story, God Loves, Man Kills, and to adapt something that is digestible in this medium and in the time frame that this medium allows. But, oh, and uh, I do recommend it. I prefer the original a little bit, but I think this is a good follow-up that continues to progress the characters of, of Logan, of, to an extent, Magneto, and of Charles Xavier. So I think this is a, a pretty worthy follow-up of the first and is, is definitely worth watching, in particular if you like the first X-Men movie. You know, that doesn't really make sense when you dive into Nightcrawler's character, who is a man of faith. And who is a man who is not bothered by people seeing him and being terrified of him. And that he just sees them and just pities them because as uh, I, we actually didn't go over this, but like he pities them because they, I think he says they can't see beyond what their eyes see. I think that's the quote. It's not direct. I forgot about that. And I'm that happy you brought that up, the thing. man. But that's the that's the thing. See, that's the thing. Thank you. We didn't Here's talk thing, about right? Nightcrawler that, like, enough. He's great. Yes, one hundred percent. Thank goodness you said like you mentioned that because it, I was just thinking about like the great conversation that Nightcrawler and Storm had, and how like Storm was basically saying that she hates humans, she doesn't forgive them for what they've done, and how Nightcrawler, despite being like the most abnormal looking one out of like most of the X Men. No, I have all the X-Men, actually, because, you know, Mystique is in the X-Men. So he's, like, the most, like, he's the most out. How do I say this? He can't hide who he is. The others can't, right? Despite the fact that he is the one who looks the most different and therefore will be treated the most harshly out of everyone, he doesn't feel any kind of resentment toward, he, toward people. Because, as I mentioned before, like, he says the reason why he doesn't feel hate for people is because he pities them. Because they can't see beyond what their eyes see. And that's a really powerful quote. And Storm does respond by saying that that she's angry because... Oh yeah, she she's angry because it helps them survive. But then uh, Nightcrawler re rebuttals that by saying, so can faith. And so like, it kind of goes back to the title of the comic that it's based on. God loves, man kills. The, uh, the man of God which is Nightcrawler, he just, he loves he, in, instead of hating people. And I'm not even religious, but I find that really powerful that a, a man chooses to uh, have his, to have, chooses to use his faith to not resent the people who are literally trying to kill him. So yeah, that's really powerful. And I feel like he's, I, I feel like he should be in the movie more, but at the same time, they used him just the just right amount too so can't be too mad yeah that's that's a great point Matt. uh and i i want to as you mentioned um religion and you not being religious but still thinking that that's a, a powerful thing i think that that's something that extends beyond religion and 
if religion is what leads you there, then that's great, but, you know, that's... Loving and accepting people is something that stretches beyond religion, even though many religions preach it, mm-hmm. and it's just an important human thing yeah. that that he shows in this movie. But yeah, like, he shows a lot of love, and that's why, like, I, I, you guys said you didn't really, you really didn't like that Magneto, like, you know, the 180 of just trying to kill all the humans, but I didn't really see it that way, I just saw it as a man full of hatred just taking it out on the people on just like people in general because you see him being in in this prison and just being tortured right being i'm not even sure if it's poison but looked like poison seeing the shape of him by the time xavier visits him and um just like him brutally killing the the bodyguard because just to get the iron from his blood and then using the iron from his blood to like shoot them like bullets at the security guards in the chamber he just and he obviously was taking pleasure in their misery and then he even says to pyro like he doesn't view humanity it, it like he's almost the same as a striker which does arc me a little bit because as you guys mentioned before like it just makes it more black and white but he's basically supposed to represent like the opposite of striker he is a mutant who thinks of human humanity as literal insects and he thinks themselves as gods and he told pyro himself that you are a god living among insects and it's just driving the plot home plot home of like these men these extremists being driven by hatred and because of that they cause pain and casualties to both sides and so that's why that's why like it makes like Nightcrawler such like a standout character is because he is such a kind character. He is so kind to everyone and he doesn't hate. It makes him really really powerful in this movie. And cha- it changes sto- he helps like changes Storm's perspective who from like the first movie like uh just made her stance clear that she does not like humans. He even was it's like he is even able to like somewhat change her mind and that's why i find that scene so powerful but it came at the expense of making magneto more cartoonishly evil so so there definitely could have been a better way of doing that but that's how i viewed it and that's why i didn't really mind it as much but i do understand why you guys didn't really like it that that's a good point that's that's a really i i don't know i like doing this with you guys because i do think we bring different things to the table and that's an example of it and i can't believe i didn't talk more about nightcrawler myself because i fucking love nightcrawler in general yeah i also think matt did a good job of explaining a whole lot of shit in a very concise way and i don't think there's anything I oh yeah excellent well this that's the thing is like i love this scene so much But because the synopsis skipped over it, we just skipped over it. It doesn't really, it doesn't really like, because it's trying to condense a movie, it skips a lot of the parts. So Matt, I take it Nightcrawler is, is the high point for you. He is the high point for me. Do you have a low point? And, um, you know, do you recommend the movie? Of course I recommend the movie. I just gushed about it for like, I don't even know how long, but yes, I do recommend the movie. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure my low point is the same thing as everyone else's. Like the, I, even though I understand why he became, you know, evil and they made him like the opposite. Well, not like the opposite, but he, he's basically striker, but on the other side, but I don't like that because it just made Magneto a very complex character, just more simplistic and made him black and white. I understand why they did it, but I don't like it. Because it came at the expense of his character. 
and his complexity. But other than that, I like the movie. Obviously, I do agree with what Jake and Matt said. I think the Magneto twist is 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 one of the weaker points. I also want to say that one of my least favorite parts was is just and this goes for the first movie too, the underdevelopment of both Jean Grey and Cyclops. I mean, those are both very important characters to the X-Men, very prevalent characters, and you have these emotional scenes with them that just don't hit as hard because they didn't spend as much time with those characters, and that just kind of sucks to me that we didn't, you know, I that death scene with Jean Grey, with how good that is, it could have been so much better if they had actually taken the time to give her more development and to give her more uh, screen time, uh, generally. So, so that I also want to point out as as probably my least favorite. Uh, I think my favorite part was we talked about it at length, but the scene at Iceman's family house where he asked to you know bite the bullet and talk to them about being a mutant because. It's, I think it just shows such a good depiction of like the day-to-day smaller instances of prejudice that, that marginalized group, groups go through. I mean, I've mentioned in whether it was the intro episode or one of the first episodes being queer. I am, still am. That didn't change. So, <laughs> and I mean, like watching that scene, I, no, I was, I was born this way and I won't change. So that's how that is. But I even remember, like, watching that scene, I remember, not to be too personal, but I remember going to Applebee's after junior prom with my date, who was a man, and the waitress saying, oh, where are your guys' dates? And it's, like, stuff like that that's, like, it's small and insignificant, and I laugh about it now because I do find it a little bit funny, but it's also, like, so disrespectful to my lifestyle and who I am as a person and I, I think that this movie depicted that so, so well in that scene. Uh, so I big, big props to that in this movie. I can't say enough about that. Uh, so I've talked enough at this point. I do wreck this movie. I think it's better than the first one. I, uh, the first X-Men, I definitely recommend this movie. I think it's very good. It's better than I remember it. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to add anything better than anybody else has. Oh, boy. Um... But uh, of my favorite parts, I think this movie in particular does a much better job comparable to the first one of delving into the themes a lot more. And you can, I I think, especially considering how much we've talked about it, just in general, how much this one tends to hit on, like, you know, again, that X-Men in general are very much a metaphor for marginalized groups. And it does such a great job of being that and being such a timeless thing that there's no lack of comparison to make for any of these characters to any marginalized group whether it be any part of the lgbtqia plus community or any of the uh or anything to do with you know racism it's just i i think that's just a long-standing thing that i love about the x-men and also it's just such a great thing that i think they do a lot better within this movie to or at least than the first one so i give it some huge props there um as for what i don't like i think i'm kind of in agreement with everybody else that like the worst thing is (laughs) i think the worst thing to me is just it's not magneto himself but the ending and the way that they've portrayed him up to that point was like okay now it just feels cartoonishly villainy when like this really should be a very 
gray character and not just i'm going to murder all the humans now otherwise i give this one a recommendation heavily i think i put this one over the first one in my book yeah i think it's good i think it's worth watching thank you thank you first of all um to the three of you because i really enjoy recording these with you um and it just really hit today i feel like we had a really nice conversation um bringing different things to the table on this movie um and i just wanted to appreciate that but uh, thank you to ALOVFX for our artwork, ALLVFX. Um, you can follow me uh, on Letterboxd, Jake Walter 98 I post reviews for all these movies there and have like a running ranking for the podcast. Jason? I made the intro-outro music for this podcast. I make music under the name The Upsides. You can find that on, on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Upsides PA, on Twitter at the underscore Upsides PA. I'm working on a lot of stuff that'll be out eventually. It's very hard to make music, but I'm making a lot of progress, and I'm proud of myself actually. So it'll be out eventually. Awesome. If you're interested in continuing to check out the pod, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at illiterate underscore pod. Um, subscribe on YouTube. The channel name is Culture Illiterate Podcast. Follow us on Spotify, again, Culture Loaded Podcast. Uh, email us any questions, comments, and we'll respond to them on air. Uh, CultureIlliteratePod at gmail.com. Please watch our next episode. It should be an interesting one because we're going to be talking about Oscar-winning director Ang Lee's wild art house interpretation of Hulk from 2003.